Hi, I'm Lisa Lancer-Rose, an award-winning author, educator, and dog trainer with a passion for animals. Now more than ever, people feel alienated from the natural world and worried about animal life. Join me and my guests as we take you deep into the lives and minds of our fellow creatures, hoping to forge a bond strong enough to save us all on This Animal Life. Today's guest is Debbie Garcia Bengachea, a best-selling author and co-founder of Gentle Carousel Miniature Therapy Horses. The charity's miniature horses interact with an estimated 25,000 people all over the country each year, including survivors, first responders, hospital patients, and more. One of their horses, Magic, was named one of history's 10 most heroic animals by Time Magazine and declared the most heroic pet in America by AARP. And Debbie's here today to help us understand what's it like to be a mini therapy horse. Hi, (laughs) it's good to be here. Debbie, thank you so much for being here. (laughs) I'm really excited to have you. Um, So before we get talking about what it's like to be a miniature therapy horse, could you give us a quick understanding of what Gentle Carousel is and what it does? Well, Gentle Carousel is a nonprofit charity. And we work with little therapy horses, like you said, all over the country in children's hospitals and veterans hospitals. We are called in if there's been some kind of um, disaster or there's been some kind of challenge somewhere in the country. If we are contacted and there's a plan for the horses, then the horses will attend as many things as they can. So they were at... Sandy Hook Elementary School after the tragedy there. They worked in Charleston at the church after the the tragedy there. Uh, Down at the Pulse nightclub, Uh, we recently were down in Surfside after the condo collapsed to work with first responders and families. And then they also traveled to places where there have been disasters like fires and tornadoes. They were out in Moore, Oklahoma, the horses after If you remember on the news when uh, children were trapped in the schools by the tornado out there in in Gatlinburg, when there were the fires in Gatlinburg, we were there at Christmas time for that. So it's a little eclectic, but they really go in and comfort uh, where they can all over the country. And in addition to working in children's hospitals, doing visits or veterans hospitals, they also work with different medical professionals, physical therapists, speech therapists, as part of the treatment teams with people who really need help in that way as well. Oh, I didn't realize. So uh, when a tragedy strikes somewhere, uh, you're invited, right? It's not like you, you just show up with your horses. No, we are, we only go if we are invited by the community or a specific group of people so that there is a plan when the horses get there. Like for Mm. instance, when we were at Sandy Hook, they would send out emails of where they wanted us to go, you know, just kind of confidentially. And we really try to use a lot of discretion when we're with people, with families, with first responders. So for instance, they um, asked us if we could be at the Newtown Public Library 
and they would send out emails to the families and they said, well, maybe only one person will come. Is that okay? One child. And we said, Mm -hmm. one child is enough. And 600 people came and it was the first time they all saw each other was at that moment. So we had to divide up the time into different sections so that we were able to, to mix and meet and, and give out a little horse love to people who really needed it. So these are um, organizers at the scene who reach out right. to, to you as well as all kinds of other people, right? Um, correct. I mean, apparently with, with the situation at Sandy Hook, there were people who were there who had followed the horses already and knew about them. Yes. And we were called that day, that evening, and said, is there any way that you guys would be able to come? And, you know, we want our children talking about minis and not monsters. Oh. Would you be able to be there? So we were actually in Washington state. So we came back down to Florida to get the horses set up and everything to travel up to Connecticut. So it was a, it was a quick turnaround to be able to do that. I'll say. You have about 21 horses, so you, you, you would rotate out, right? You would get a, choose a different horse because one horse was just at Sandy Hook, say. so. Well, we, had, we took three horses up there the first time and three the second time. But we, yeah, we're very careful. If horses have been traveling or doing something, then we switch out and another group of horses will be working. So unless they're actually traveling, our therapy horses work no more than two days a week. So they get five days a week just to play and be in the pasture. They're with a lifelong herd of friends. So we want them to live. You're not exhausting. Yeah. In fact, it's sort of the other way around where we'll get horses that (laughs) that are like, is it my turn? Is it my turn? We want them to really, Uh and we have a couple that will try to sneak on board you know, when it's not their turn or we have a long driveway and you'll see horses that will follow the, the van down the driveway, whinnying, you know, so we want to keep it that they love what they do, that they look forward to it. They're not doing it so much that they're like, Oh no, not me again. It's, it's kind of the other way around. They've got pretty big egos and they like being center of attention and, and in the horse world, it is a pretty good gig. You go, you get loved. People think you're awesome. <laughs> you know, you yeah. get some treats, you come back home. So, you know, and, and if it's hot where we are, they're indoors working. So they get the air conditioning. And I mean, so yeah, it's a pretty good life to be a gentle carousel miniature therapy horse. We should probably clarify if there's anybody who doesn't know what a miniature horse is. You know, what's the difference between a horse and a pony and a miniature horse? Well, a miniature horse is an actual breed of horse like a quarter horse or thoroughbred. It is a specific breed. They are, our miniature horses tend to be on the small side of miniature horses. How big are we talking? Um, They can be considered a miniature horse up to 38 inches at the shoulder Ours are kind of like 27 inches, probably. On oh my average. gosh, I know dogs that are taller. Yeah, our dogs are too. <laughs> so they tend to be <laughs> small, but they're, they're very proportional. They look like the goal of a miniature horse is truly a horse in miniature. And, uh, you know, our horses very much look like a large breed of horse. They're just smaller. So it's mostly uh, size and conformation that distinguishes what a miniature horse is. And, and a pony is also size and conformation. Their conformation is a little different 
than a miniature and horse. And their background, where they came from, honestly, we'll mm -hmm. have people that will say, oh, it's a pony. And we're like, you know what? If it's set in love, you can pretty much call us anything. Call the horses what you want, yeah. you know? And we will even kind of mix it when we, we do calls with children in hospitals, especially kind of during COVID. And, you know, the, the joke was there's a pony on the phone for you so that they oh, could sweet. speak to their, you know, to their buddy that's used to being with them when they're having treatments and couldn't be with them. If you say there's a little pony coming down the hallway, you're not going to insult anyone. <laughs> I forgot to say, you just reminded me, <laughs> I meant to include it in the introduction that you're the author of Mini Horse, Mighty Hope, How a Herd of Miniature Horses Provides Comfort and Healing. Um, and there is a, a chapter called There's a Pony on the Phone. That's right. Well, we, you know, we kind of ended the book at the time that COVID was just starting. I, I noticed as I was reading about the history of miniature horses, um, which was fascinating, by the way, if, uh, I, I re recommend it to any of our listeners. If you're a horse fan and you haven't read about the history of miniature horses, it's the coolest. But one thing I noticed that they're bred for, the, the breed as it was developed, was temperament that they were bred specifically to be friendly. Whereas some horses, I mean, all horses can be friendly, but some of them were bred for other things. But friendliness was, um, was a priority to the breeders of miniature horses. Well, it would be great if it was, you know, the priority for all animals <laughs> that we're working oh. with. <laughs> Any bad people bad too, people, right? <laughs> it would be great if that was universal. <laughs> but actually the truth is with miniature horses, just like any other breed of horse, there's a wide range of personalities. And, sure. you know, we, the horses that we're using in our program are at this point, multiple generation therapy horses. And so that makes a big difference for a lot of different ways with training and things like that. But, you know, they are, even amongst our herd of horses, our group, there is just a wide range of personalities sure. and what they like to do and even who they like to work with the best. I mean, we have horses that love to be with kids and are great. There are some who seem to really gravitate towards seniors and they'll work, you know, universally, but we know them well enough to know there are certain things that they really like and yeah, they have their own preferences, like, like everyone else. And, and really with, with miniature horses, it really is a rare horse that is both happy and safe working in the kind of indoor environments that our horses work in. And to us, it has to be both. You know, we don't want to make a horse do something that that is not what they, what makes them happy. You know, if that's the case, there's another job that they need, but it really, you know, we want them to be happy doing what they do. Yeah. What we know after, you know, all the years of doing this is that that system seems to really work. And then we're also able to have things like wheelchairs and, and all kinds mm -hmm. of different equipment and things like that, even on the farm and different surfaces for the foal to step on from the very beginning. So the foals are to varying degrees, I'm sure, but just naturally confident around um, novelty, noises, um, the unexpected. I, I think so. And that's, you know, it's really important because the horses work around helicopters landing or they're working around sirens or alarms or in a hospital anything can sort of happen and they need to be able to you know be calm and mainly look to their handler and know that they're safe that they're protected no matter what's going on yes everything is good so 
So your horses are therapy animals. And um, we should probably talk a little bit about what does that mean? Like people are accustomed to service animals now and emotional support animals. Uh, what's the difference? I think it's sort of evolved over the last 25 years that we've been doing this. Yeah. When we started, uh, there really weren't miniature therapy horses out there that we knew about at all. So we were kind of breaking a lot of glass ceilings mm-hmm. and doing a lot of things that hadn't been done before. And I think therapy animal, I mean, there are just a lot of different meanings for what that is now. Yeah. And so, you know, in the same way that our horses, when people ask, well, what do they do when they go out somewhere? And we're really like, it's different every single day. Yeah. But <laughs> there's a, 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 well, okay. If I, I can back up a okay. second, I, I have friends who have service dogs and, you know, they get touchy about is it a therapy dog? Is it an emotional support dog? Which is almost a pejorative right now. And that, but a service dog is trained. A service dog is trained maybe as your horses are from the get go, mm-hmm. and um, socialized and acclimated to different situations, especially situations that they're going to find themselves in, um, and uh, meet lots of different people, get exposed to lots of different sounds and places and textures and, and all that, as well as basic obedience kind of stuff. Um, and then they are trained to perform a service, mm-hmm. like leading the blind or Correct. Um, fetching things for someone who has mobility limitations. Um, and then a therapy animal has a different, slightly different, I mean, the, the foundations might be the same, but then it has a slightly different training. And I, and I think the reason that I was kind of hesitating is because our horses in some ways are a little bit of a hybrid because uh-huh. they do work that a therapy animal does. You know, they visit children in hospitals, you know, when the elevator doors open and little horses come out, it's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a great thing. And, you know, and if they're in the room with someone, they're not thinking about, I'm having chemo today. They're thinking there's a horse in my room and it's special and it's wonderful and it's all of that kind of thing. And then they've also done a lot of work where they, like I said, they actually work with medical professionals as part of the treatment. Yes. So, which is called hippotherapy. It's yeah. I mean, it, it's very much like they will, they do have done things like, you know, with someone who's learning to walk again after, mm-hmm. you know, a stroke or something like that, or, you know, just being with people as they're learning to use wheelchairs. They've been mm-hmm. with someone who stood for the first time after their surgery. They've, you know, working with um, burn victims where it's, it's very painful. And so being able to just have like a little brush in your hand and reaching out as part of the physical therapy with the horse is, mm-hmm. you know, at least you've got something else going on at the same time, instead of just doing, you know, stretches, you're reaching out to the horse, you're brushing the horse, you're doing things like that. So that's why I was saying, you know, it's a, a little bit of a, a hybrid kind of situation. Yes. But truly a therapy animal, you know, going in and comforting people and being there in challenging situations, it is not a service animal. And we try to talk to people a lot about, you know, these are horses in every way, because people will, will see them working indoors and say, oh, like a therapy dog. But the kind of work that goes into having a horse working indoors 
is very different than for a dog. I mean, horses are prey animals and they're flight animals. So our horses go through a minimum of a a two-year basic indoor training program, including hospital work and things like that. So having a horse get in an elevator where the floor goes out from under you and you go up and you're in a crowd is very different than having a dog do that. And the same way with going up and down stairs, just as far as vision goes for a horse, it's very, very different. So those kinds Let's of talk things. a little bit about that. Like, like what, what's entailed in the training and how, how is that dictated by what it's like to be a little tiny horse, a little tiny flight animal? Well, I think the most important thing is that we, we realize these are horses in every way. And I think, you know, again, because they're small and because ours tend to be on the small side, people see them as, Mm -hmm. you know, that they're like a little toy or they're so adorable. And uh, we even had uh, one of our horses we put on Facebook that was born and he was, you know, five and a half pounds and was a little prince and he was snow white. (sighs) And so we were just holding him and, and someone said, I want to order 10 of those because they thought it was a toy. And we were, we were like, we also would like 10. <laughs> but, oh, but there's, only, there's only the one. But we, so we're constantly reminding people that these are horses in every way and all of their needs, everything that we do with them, that's an important thing to keep in mind. Even the travel that we do with them because they're a herd animal. So we don't want them to have to travel by themselves. They are much happier, they're much more secure with a companion, you know, with them, their horse. Their minds, their, their minute by minute being is heavily dependent on reading the social cues of the rest of their herd. It, it's absolutely that way. And, you know, they know where they stand in, you know, pecking order is not a good word, way to describe it, but within the herd. <laughs> Nipping order. They, they sort of know, you know, I'm number one, I'm number four. Um, I'm taking care of this. I'm taking care of that. Horses that live alone do really poorly, even in the sleep that they get, because when our, one of our horses sleeps or a couple of them sleep, the others kind of gather around. So they have that comfort of knowing that there are eyes watching. And when a horse is because they're prey animals. Yes. And when a horse doesn't have anyone, they can actually have sleep problems and health issues because of it. That's fascinating. I mean, all of those kind of things, you know, you kind of consider with training horse, with taking a horse out and just remembering who they are. And, you know, you can't change a million years of genetics because we've decided, you know, that we want them to do something else. I remember from, uh, this was a long time ago, but I, I used to ride and I, I did some dressage and trail riding and that kind of stuff when I was younger. Um, and you couldn't always predict when something was going to frighten your horse and it would happen quicker than a second. Your horse would go from, you know, the, the relaxed lip drooping down and you're just walking, you know, and then suddenly they are running for their lives sometimes you didn't even know what it was that set them off. Is that uh, sort of triggering of the flight response, something that you work with in your training? Well, I think the, the biggest part of the training and the thing that takes the time, because I, I know human nature is you want to do it really fast, but I think anything, mm. any kind of training with horses, it takes a lot of work to make it look easy. 
and, you know, all of the things that you don't really think of, like going through the hospital, there may be eight or nine different surface changes and walking through glass mm -hmm. doors. And then now everyone has a camera. So there's flashing as you're, as you're getting to an elevator and things like that. And you can practice and train for a lot of things, but there are so many things that the horses have handled that you can't train for. And you just have to develop such a trust between the handler and the horse so that that handler is sort of for better word for it, like a herd leader, like the horse is looking like, are we good when something happens? And it's ah, like, yes, mm -hmm. we're good. We're fine. And you build up a trust that we are protecting you. We're not going to let anything happen to you the same way that they feel in a herd of horses that, hey, you know, everyone's got your back here. So when our horses are moving through a crowd, like we had to, you know, go through Times Square to get to a hospital. So it's, you know, it's, it can be a little crazy wow. in some places that we go, but we have volunteers that sort of walk the perimeter to make sure nobody is bumping into the horse or things like that. So on one hand, mm. they need to be able to handle it if something goes wrong. And on the other hand, they mm -hmm. shouldn't have to. So we do everything that we can to make sure, you know, they don't get bumped into by a wheelchair, that a crowd doesn't push into them. And yet, if that does happen, you know, they're able to handle it in, in a great way. And part of how they're able to handle it is they're going to check with you. Are we okay? When they're in an elevator and the, and the floor falls beneath, you know, starts to drop beneath them. Um, they look at you. Are you nervous? And you're not. And they trust you. Yeah. Well, I mean, and they're so funny because like one of our horses magic, she walks in an elevator, she turns around and she looks at the buttons. Like she's done no. it enough. She knows what the system is. She knows how it works. So that part is practice. The difference okay. is if somebody comes into the elevator, because literally everyone wants to ride in the elevator with a horse and they've got balloons, they're taking to a room that pop. Oh my gosh. You yes. know, Oh. And so that's the kind of thing where, you know, the basic skills of doing it, they've learned, but then something happens. We were doing um, a program on stage in Nashville. So ahead of time, the horse was on stage, met the musicians, you know, the instruments, everything. So you kind of practice that out and knowing, you know, they get to check out the floors and what they were going to do. But when the horse came out and was introduced and things like that, the crowd all did a standing ovation and just started cheering, you know, because they were talking about some of the places the horses had been. And, and that was something you couldn't practice for. And the great thing was what happened? the horse just stood and just faced them and, you know, didn't, didn't budge and just really handled it well, but it was not something that you could practice for or we were asked to be at um, a zoo for a particular situation to meet these baby pandas. And uh, mm -hmm. so the horses had, were in towns. So they went to the zoo and they were able to walk all of the different surfaces and do everything that they needed to do. And yet, you know, they had never walked over a wooden bridge with elephants tooting at them before. <laughs> you know, you don't get to practice that ahead of time. They need to trust. And actually, there was some whinnying back and forth where the elephants were making noises and the horses were calling back to them. So it worked out well. And there was one point where they 
and they were there with the zoo veterinarians and the zoo was filming and things like that. So there were a lot of people around to make sure everything was safe for everyone. But the horses, they were amazed, the, the people working at the zoo and the zoo veterinarian, that the horses did not back down. They stood with their handler or handlers and did great because again, there was a trust factor there, even in areas where, you know, they would normally be frightened to be doing that kind of thing. So you practice everything that you can. And then the rest is really based on, on trust and the fact that we do everything that we can to make sure that they are safe and at the same time, we also want to keep patients safe. When you're in a children's hospital, there are a lot of people with bare feet. Oh, There are a lot of things that are happening where the horse has to be really, really careful. It's not like a barn where you have rules and everyone needs to have boots on. You're going into a, a totally different environment. So, you know, one of the skills that the horses learn is they keep their feet back if someone's in a wheelchair and they stretch their necks forward. Wow. To put their heads in their laps and be with them. Do you shape that behavior? You have to. I mean, that's the kind of thing where it's just, you wouldn't notice it. Seeing a horse walk up to someone, you don't notice what they're doing, but they are very much doing certain skills that keep everyone safe. Do you click or train? Uh, we have with some things. Um, a lot mm -hmm. of it, it's funny about, like with any horse or any animal, you're an absolute expert mm -hmm. until you get the second one. And then there, you know, I was going to ask you this, you, you've been doing this for like 25 years, right. right? So this is, this is the voice of experience that we're hearing. <laughs> you know, some of these things you must've learned the hard way. We did hope, you know, there has never been a, a huge safety issue. You know, I mean, the horses carry liability insurance with them wherever they go. We've Never had to use it in all the years for anything. Uh, but, you know, I think that you're always learning the way that a horse thinks, because like I said, you know, you've got, you'll see someone who knows all things about therapy, dogs or whatever with one, but then the minute you bring yeah. a second one into the, you know, or any kind of, any kind of skill that you're really working with animals, they're totally different. The way that they see things are different. The practice that they need in a certain area is, is very different. Some catch on very quickly. An interesting example of that. Oh boy. I would say, you know, even something as simple as hospital rooms are very tight. You know, you've been in a hospital there's often around beds, like hardly any room to move around at all, mm -hmm. even for very small horses, you know, what they have to do to move in, to get near where a young patient might be on a bed and a horse. Yeah. The, the child is elevated. They're, they're elevated. There's all kinds of, I mean, some of our horses are little, we've, you know, picked some up before just so that they could be oh, seen, okay. but you know, a horse, how much do they weigh? I'm sorry. Oh, I no. I mean, like magic weighs about a hundred pounds, you know, I mean, they're not oh. stuff you're going to carry around and probably up to no. our largest ones are a couple hundred pounds, you know, or 150 okay. pounds. But the thing that, that for certain horses, this is, again, it's a flight animal. And so to walk into an area where there isn't an immediate exit that they can see oh, yes. is that's mm -hmm. a very challenging situation. So for some horses, How about it's that? like, wait a minute, you know, 
I, I want to be able to see the way out the door. I, I want yeah, that. Dead end. Yeah, I'm, I'm being asked to walk around into a place that's right up against a wall so that I can be with that patient. And so for some horses, it's like, okay, this is fine. This is not bothersome for me. And for others, it really does take time and practice to say, we've got you, you're safe. You're going to be able to back back out of here, you know, and, and turn back around the bed and go the direction that you want to go in. I mean, other things, and probably our most asked training question is the horses are house trained, very different than with a dog. And they have their own you know, again, you're kind of looking like with a puppy. I, I tell people it's like a puppy times a thousand, you know, as far as housebreaking, where yeah. you, you are working on when did they eat? What are their habits like? And each of them have different habits to make sure that you never put them in a position where they make a mistake. That I always tell people the dog is not housebroken. The pair of you are housebroken. Yes, <laughs> that is absolutely true. And, you know, like we'll have horses that if they need to go to the bathroom, they'll tap their foot mm -hmm. and they're giving you a, a, oh. I need to go out to the bathroom. Yes. We have a bell on the door that I've never taught any of my dogs. Uh, we're going on like seven dogs. I've never taught them to ring it, but they figure out because it rings when you open the door Yeah, to go out. Yeah. So they learn when they want to go out, they go over and, then, <laughs> and they just poke it with their nose. You hear ding. The soft little thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, unfortunately, hospitals don't have bells on doors, so we no. have to have another <laughs> that works. So, but you've taught them to to stump their little yeah. They'll, they'll the tap their foot if they need to go. There's, you know, when you're training younger horses, you know, again, you're kind of looking for the signs. You're looking for, and you have to make sure in your mind as the handler that you're giving them enough time to get to where they need to go as well, because that may include elevators and going back outside and, you know, they, they know that they use the, the van that they travel in and their stalls in the van, because often if mm -hmm. you're in a city, it's not like they can just go to the bathroom somewhere. How much control do they have? Really, um, They do. It's interesting because a horse that is stressed tends mm -hmm. to go to the bathroom. So again, it is part of that is having them so acclimated to what they're doing and feeling so calm, no matter what happens and things like mm -hmm. that, 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 that doesn't become an issue for them because it's very natural right. for a horse who's, who's stressed to suddenly go to the bathroom. So, you yeah. know, we're like, okay, kind of happens to us yeah, too, doesn't it? Being calm, you know, is in, and feeling comfortable, even though there's a crowd at the hospital, even though people gather around, we went to a, a hospital for the first time. Um, and they didn't tell us, but they had the entire staff of this big hospital system waiting for when the horse came in. They were literally hundreds oh, of people there. They were up the stairs and on the balcony oh. at the top. And there were children that were there waiting because they had picked children that were going to ride in the elevator with them. They had called all of this news media in that they hadn't told us about. So there were all these cameras and, you know, people oh, tried, my to, tried to push it and we're like, okay, it would have been good to get a hint <laughs> that you were going to do this. Oh. But again, that's the kind of thing that you know, if a horse was very stressed in a kind of situation, you could have a big problem. 
but you know so what do they see when when they come into a scene like that i'm i'm thinking you know there you arrive in new york city mm -hmm. or you arrive at that school in, mm -hmm. in oklahoma in the aftermath mm -hmm. of a tornado or the pulse nightclub um or in miami the champlain tower collapse they what what do they see and hear first well i mean i think the main thing that they are seeing and looking because you know we're looking at what their height is and what they're you know okay. looking across at um, a very important thing that that we do because they really need that connection with their handler is mm -hmm. in 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 the horse in the horse world horses greet each other by blowing on each other's noses and things like that and and you uh -huh. know we think it's very important for our handlers to get down low when they're getting ready to start doing something to kneel down and make okay. that eye contact and, you know, kind of when, when a horse first arrives in a situation like, say, a hospital or something like that, there's a little grooming process that goes on. They come out of the van, but they get their feet disinfected before they go in the hospital. They Okay. Are they told now's a good time to use the facilities? You know, it's as well as most of them at this point, because we have cameras. Um, that watch what uh -huh. they do when they start feeling that the van is slowing down sometimes you'll see them go oh go quick it's, they, it's like they've taught themselves oh, they, they probably take go care right of it. now because it looks like we're stopping and then uh, wow. you know part of that just grooming and putting their little scrim on and just getting them ready to go in somewhere is also that mm -hmm. time to just make that connection with them you okay. know and so yes you're uh -huh. brushing them and you're cleaning their feet and you're doing all of that but you're also just getting that connection, that eye contact, that down level, like, okay, you good? We're good. You know, we're going to go in. And blowing into each other. Yeah. Nostrils. And just having that moment with the, the mm -hmm. handler that they're trust. So a big part of what they're doing is watching what the handler is doing, where they're walking, you know, what kind of surface, you know, that they're getting ready to go on and things like that. Horses do have different vision than dogs. They can't see okay. directly in front of them or directly behind them. I, no, I saw that in your book, um, and I was surprised uh, that, uh, in particular, their depth perception, right? Right, which makes things like walking on stairs and all of that, you know, you're kind of taking all of that kind of things in consideration. Their depth perception is really different. That makes no sense to me. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm really surprised because they have great think vision all the way around, you know, except that directly and, you know, and it, but they can maneuver over jumps and between trees yeah, and, and, and amongst each other. It's pretty amazing. You know, it's just that directly, it's kind of why, you know, walking directly behind a horse, it's not that oh. they're, you know, people go, Oh, are you afraid your horse is going to kick? And it's like, no, I'm, but they don't, they might not see you. They could step back okay. onto your foot because they just don't see quite where you are. And so, I mean, and then they get startled. Well, yeah. I mean, or you just get your foot stepped on, you know, okay. <laughs> but you know, and they know they're not supposed to back up into people, you know, or uh -huh. move back without being asked to move backwards, just from a safety point of view. But it is fascinating mm -hmm. to see how herd animals how they see and, you know, how far around they can see with eyes on the sides of their heads. I mean, they have great vision. It's just different than what people think about with a dog and jumping and, and maneuvering things, but especially things like stairs or stepping down or, 
you know, the depth perception of, of a line, you know, is it a canyon or is it just uh-huh. a line painted on the road? So all of wow. those kind of things, you know, you have to just keep in consideration that that's just who they are. When you're on one of these locations, how much of your attention has to be on that individual horse mm-hmm. and all of the things that they might be thinking and needing and feeling moment by moment. And you have to think ahead and back. You have to think about what they've just been through and did they move their bowels? <laughs> you know, uh, have you have you taken care of all the little chores, you know, disinfected their hooves and, and so forth and, and, and made that connection? You ha- and you have to manage your own feelings. I'm, I'm just imagining myself there because um, if I'm stressed out, if I'm af- afraid uh, or, or just braced for what I'm about to experience, because when you read this book, it hits you the trauma and, and maybe it's because it's a book and it, and it just goes, you know, every three or four pages, we're, we're in a new emotionally charged situation. And that's saying it's emotionally charged is putting it lightly. Um, you, you also have to be emotionally prepared so that the horse isn't overstressed by your, you being distraught. Well, it, it's interesting because when you talk about, you know, different horses, being better at one thing than the other, the same is, Mm -hmm. is true for our human volunteers. Okay. Because there are some who will say, I I can't do hospice or I can't do a hospital. Mm -hmm. I can do this, but I just, I can't do that. It's more than I can handle. So it is Mm -hmm. the humans as well of, of making sure that everybody is in a, a place that's really great for them that they feel comfortable. And, and there are a lot of challenging situations. I think the, the, the most important thing is, you know, say you're going into a a hospice situation and, you know, you can feel sad, you can feel, you know, you wish you could change things for people that you can't change and children in the hospice, you know, you, you just wish that you could do something more than, than, you know, being able to go in and you have to be in that state of mind that in that moment, that person is happy. They're excited. It's making a difference in their life. It's cheering up their family. People will often look at the horses and the child in a hospital or even in a hospice situation. And when I turn around and look at the parents and to see their child smiling and, and happy I mean, for a parent, that's what you want to see, you know, no matter what is going on. There was one story, I think, in the book that was just we were with um, a little boy. He was nearing the end of his life and he hadn't been home for the holidays. He'd never been to a park. It was just a very challenging situation. And he had wanted to meet the horses. And so the doctors hooked him up to his oxygen, his equipment, the things that he needed. And he was so happy and he was laughing and smiling and he was hugging the horses and, and he, you know, his family was laughing and they were just having this time together. And we always do photography for the families, any, any chance that we can, so that we can send them photos and things. Uh And, uh, you know, you, there's the part of you that steps back and says, I wish I could fix this. Yeah. But, you know, we were getting ready to leave and the horses were getting ready to leave. And his mother came up and she grabbed my arm and she said, I want you to know that we have never had a happy day. And now we'll always have a happy day. 
And so, you know, you, you feel like you can't fix things, but if you can give someone a happy day, that that's where the focus needs to be in, in a situation like that. And so, yeah, I mean, there, and, you know, there are programs or there are events that happen that the whole world knows about, you know, whether it's like a sandy book or the building collapse or, you know, certain situations or, or storms and things like that. But actually to a family who is losing their child, that's Sandy Hook for them. Yeah. That is the trauma for that family is, and the pain we are, is just as deep. And it, you know, maybe the whole world doesn't know about it, but to that family, it's the exact same feeling. So, you know, they were kind of the big stories, but the kind of work that the horses do day in, you know, and day out, we're just very aware that you are entering this family's story. You are entering yes. forever the story that they have of their family. And you might be with them just for an afternoon or an hour, but you become part of that family's history mm-hmm. of, of things that happen, you know, things that that family will remember. There was a little girl who was in hospice and uh, she wanted a tea party with the horses. That was her request. Oh, I love this story. Yeah. Yes. She is yeah. in the book and, and, you know, that's what she wanted. And I think the important thing is it was wonderful. And we had tuxedos made for the horses and all of her little cousins came in princess dresses. And it was this, this beautiful moment in the family, but you also are making a memory that the, the little cousins, you know, even though she might not be here anymore, it's not just about that. They had a cousin who was sick. It was about a family and a, and a memory that was fun, you know, that those kids are going to grow up knowing and remembering. And that's sort of, when I say everything that we do, it's a little bit different each time. <laughs> yeah, done a whole, you know, done a whole array of, of different kinds of things. And if you can do something special for someone, that, that makes a big difference. So yeah, it's, it's challenging. The horses definitely feel what, you know, you're feeling, they pick up on things and it's a, it's a good thing. And it's a tough thing in some ways, you know, we have horses that tend to really zoom in on people. You know, we always say that magic who probably is our best known therapy horse and she sort of represents what all of the therapy horses do and their stories. But it's like she can just find that person in the room that needs her the most. She can, and I'm like, I can't quite explain it, but it happens all the time. And she will go in. I looked into this a little bit. <laughs> I was thinking, well, I, I used to ride and I, you know, I sometimes think about why do women love horses, supposedly? Uh, you know, is that a Freudian thing? Or is there is there something else going on? And I think there's something else going on. And I think it has to do with emotional intelligence. I just noticed when I was around horses that there was another way of being that was mostly body language and about um, mutual reassurance, I guess, you know, uh, just a, a shared being in the moment and, um, and not always 
maybe calming each other, but maybe being playful as well or, or serious, determined. But there was this high degree of emotional reciprocity and, and a shared maintenance of the mood of us together. And I don't know if I'm making any sense, but um, I, so I went looking to see if I, if that was just something that I, I imagined when I worked with horses or if it's real, you know, um, it, maybe it was something I wanted. I, I just wanted to be a centaur, you know, or I wanted to have this soulmate. So I went looking and horses and humans have been together 5,000 years. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that might've drawn us is that emotional intelligence, because um, they're herd animals. We're, um, you know, family group animals, it's the same thing. So um, your horses, the work they do is heavily dependent on this emotional intelligence. So I thought I would define what emotional intelligence was. Um, it is the ability to monitor one's own mood and other people's emotions to discriminate between different emotions and label them, which I don't imagine horses are doing. They're not labeling them. Um, And to use that emotional information to guide your thinking and behavior. Mm -hmm. So uh, from the stories that you've told me and that I read in the book, I was thinking that's exactly what it is. It is that the horses are monitoring their own and other people's emotions. And it sounds like the handlers are also greatly involved in that monitoring from everything you've just told us, and I'm sure what we'll talk about coming up. And, uh, and everyone is using that information to guide thinking and behavior. And this, because this is work, you, your goal is to, to bring that happy day or that relief from stress, that distraction from pain to these people, uh, some comfort to the families. Um, I have a bunch of sources that I'll put in the show notes. I won't, uh, I know some podcasts, they read them all and maybe I'm supposed to, but (laughs) all my sources, but uh, you know, they were, it was uh, articles in the Atlantic about uh, horses reading human facial expressions. Mm -hmm. Um, The Royal Society for Publishing uh, was the original source for that, uh, the study of um, horses reading human facial expressions. They read them in uh, photos, actually. Um, Also, uh, there was a study came out in 2018, the other one was in 2016, that uh, horses remember facial expressions that specific humans have exhibited and react to them when they see them. Again, so you can show them a photo of somebody frowning. And then, and they will have an emotional reaction to that photo. It's interesting what you said about depth perception now that I think about it. And then when they meet that same person that they saw in the photo, they recognize the person and they react to their memory of the emotion, which you can, horses have like 17 expressions, facial expressions themselves. It's a very high number of facial expressions. And um, they, their pulse will race and that sort of thing depending. Also, are you familiar with left gaze bias and right gaze bias? I have heard of that. Yes, <laughs> I have. Yes. So they, they observed that the left, uh, just quickly, the left gaze bias um, is uh, well-documented in horses and dogs. And it indicates that the animal is engaging the right hemisphere of the brain. Uh, and that's where they're reacting to something new. Um, and that might be fear-provoking or is fear provoking stimuli, right? So that's, um, so they will look at it with the left eye if it's something that might be threatening, a perceived threat and their heart rates will speed up, et cetera, uh, evidence of stress. 
Uh, and that's that fight or fl flight, or in, a, in the horse's case, it would mostly be flight. And then if they look with their right eye, that's the right gaze bias, and it's going to be a perceived pro-social interaction. Like somebody, uh, it, it, they'll be um, responding in this case when they've seen a photo of someone smiling. They, um, they will look with their right eye because they imagine this person, they expect this person is going to be friendly. So that, that uh, gaze bias, mm -hmm. left and right, is um, something they observed in a lot of species, including dogs. But yeah, I, I was going to say, I think it's, it's very interesting. And again, because our, our therapy horses live in a herd, they live a very natural life as, you know, maybe more natural than a lot of horses, which people are surprised because somehow they think they're living in our house, but they, you know, sure. they have a herd, the way that a herd works together is fascinating. And because everybody knows where they belong within the mm -hmm. herd uh, from the, t and actually the number one horse just has a lot more work than the one who's in the middle. Oh. You know, it, it, it's it maybe heavy I, lies the head that wears the crown. I think it really is. But if somebody <laughs> is pushy or does something that's out of, you know, out of line, the, the reprimand that they get is often so subtle they get it really but it's you know people are like oh you know they're going to kick and bite and, and do things and it's not like that doesn't ever ever happen but it what's the example of somebody uh in the herd requiring a reprimand from and is is magic who, who i forget who the the lead horse magic is. she's totally believes she runs the entire i mean i think kids who are used to being with her children you know in hospitals would be surprised to see her when she's doing her own thing, but you will see, you know, if somebody ticks off, you know, whoever's the leader, you know, that's out there, sometimes it's just the way that the ear goes in their direction. Just the most subtle things are saying, back off, you know, uh -huh. get out of my space or whatever. It's not always this really, you know, overt, <laughs> aggression you know they all kind of know where they belong within the, mm -hmm. the order and if somebody is just doing something that's out of line it, it's often just these very subtle expressions of the horses with each other so it makes sense that they pick up on expressions with with people and what you're saying about photos you know I mean magic will come into a room and there a couple of times there's been um a painting or a photo on the wall of a horse, even just oh. a horse head. And she will whinny at it. Like she's recognizing something. And we've done different things with, um, we put up mirrors out in the pasture, like big mirrors to see what the horses, you know, like little, oh, little engagement and photographed just to see how uh -huh. they reacted and what they did. And, you know, the curiosity of coming up and, and checking out the reflections and things like that. But horses do pick up on subtleties because again, being a prey animal, you have to be able to pick up on very subtle things in your environment. When you're looking across, horses like to be able to see from a distance. And, you know, that's just all of the, I'm mm. assuming all of those, you know, years of scanning your environment to make sure that there's nothing coming toward you. And each other, because one of the other horses might have seen a threat or 
a, a friend returning, you know? Yeah. Well, and they do. And, you know, the friend returning is, you know, for us having that, you know, this, this herd that has acres that they can move around on. And, and, you know, we really try to give them, like I said, as natural a life as possible. And even in feeding them, we're putting food and, and their, you know, vitamins or their minerals, whatever, spread out over many acres so that they're constantly moving around and they're eating down with their heads down on the ground, which is the natural way that a horse eats, you know, as far as their windpipe and everything, but that they are, Mm -hmm. that they are constantly moving like, like a horse in the wild would, you know, because they're grazing. Yeah. They're that keeps them healthy. That keeps them moving, but they are always checking each other out. And when uh, one of the horses or usually it's, you know, more than one horse together, but when they've been gone and they see the van coming up the driveway, you'll see them all moving in because what they do is they will come in and greet the horse who's been gone and they all gather together. And then they all that horse or those horses that have been gone, you know, meet with them you know, part of it looks like, Hey, so where'd you see, (laughs) what have you been up to? But then they all walk back out together. So they come in and get their companion and then they, you know, they all together. It really is. There's that, that feel of this is, this is family. And uh, you know, so, and I know that we had talked before there's a a chapter in the book about our livestock guardian dogs, the Marema sheep dogs who live with the herd. And it allows those dogs who are sometimes bigger than the horses, but they, because they are protective of the herd, it allows them that freedom to safely move around the pastures and around the acres because those dogs are there with them. You know, I mean, we don't Mm -hmm. having a group of livestock guardian dogs make Mm. safe for everyone. It makes it safe for the dogs the coyotes move on. I mean, even if they're bothering other farms, they're like, this is the perimeter we don't cross. And so that makes sort of a, the Marema sheepdogs, our Marema sheepdogs are so bonded with the horses and the horses are so bonded with the dogs. They are part of the herd. They are, you know, our dogs, they like us, the guardian dogs, Mm -hmm. but the expression that they show with the horses when they go up and greet a horse, their tails are wagging. They're happy to see them. It's the things that they're closer to the horses. Yeah. It's tough, you know, as a human. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you know, you kind of would really like to be, you know, we're used to kind of being the number one and that's not the case, but they are so happy to be with the horses. They love them. They are, they will protect them. And the horses feel the same way. You'll see them running together or sleeping together or, you know, moving around together. And those dogs allow the horses to have as much freedom as they can possibly have in a safe way. Right. It sounds like an idyllic life to be these horses. They're so well cared for. All of this is emotional intelligence. This is social or social intelligence where it is intrinsically rewarding and motivating to um, be observing each other and getting along with each other uh, across multiple species. We've been talking about at least three, you know, we got the canines, we got uh, the equines and we have the humans. Um, But in the herd, they all know each other as you've been describing and they know the horses and they know you and they know their handlers. Um, 
But when you take them out in the world to do the work that they do, they're among strangers. Mm -hmm. So what motivates them to, to bring these strangers into the herd and to care for them? I mean, do, do they really, are they, are they pretending or does, does it just appear that they care uh, or do they actually care about the suffering of strangers? It's interesting because what I see with a number of the horses and, you know, again, magic is a great example is she behaves very differently. We do literacy programs. I was a school principal. We do literacy programs, yeah. especially kind of in high crime or at neighborhoods or with at-risk children, as well as, you know, um, in libraries and things like that. And the way the horses engage with children who are not sick is very different than the way they engage with children who are mm -hmm. sick. They, they are not as, you know, they're friendly, but there's not that real contact in a lot of ways that we see when they're with a child one-on-one. -on -one. Can you describe the difference, for example, when they're interacting with healthy children at a reading event? How do they behave with the children? Well, we've actually been able to see it like right in, in real time, because often if we're going to do a public program, we'll get contacted mm -hmm. by people who, you know, can we bring a child who maybe is ill? After, okay. Right oh, so you see the difference program. right there? Yeah, it's, it's in okay. real time. So you'll do, you know, after a program, you know, kind of meet and greets with the kids or they'll get a photo with one of the horses or something like that. And, and you can just mm -hmm. see, um, you know, standing there polite, they'll do the photos and things. And then when a child comes in, you will often see the horse move into them. And put their Wait, no, this is the, the child who is suffering who is, in some who, way. Who has, you know, something is going on, whether they're in a wheelchair or whatever. And you'll see okay. the horse engage with them more, come in close, you know, look at them more, put their head, you know, on their, on their lap. And the one thing that's been important to us is in, in training and working with the horses and getting them ready to do the kind of things that they do. Something mm -hmm. that was, and this is just a personal choice on our part. We work a lot on skills to keep people safe. Like I was saying, keeping their feet back and moving their heads <laughs> yeah. forward and things like that. that but what we mm -hmm. don't want to do is train tricks, like to teach them to lay their head on somebody's lap when you tell them to, or to do some kind of performance in that way, because it's mm -hmm. important for us that, and, and people can tell that it's mm -hmm. a real engagement. It, it, the horse is doing something. The horse is engaging with that person. They're not being told to do it. That is, that is indeed what they are doing. And it, and it makes a difference. You know, we've seen it with children after a library program, the, the total demeanor change, and also just, you know, getting super calm. The horses, you know, when they're outside, and when they leave a hospital, because we do, we want them to kind of shake off things if somebody's been sad and they get a treat and we, you know, they know they can run and play. And when they go in the door, they get really calm. You know, they, they're like, okay, got to be calm. When they get, when they come in the door, of a, say, of a hospital, in a hospice. Something. Or... Yeah, they, they know, okay, huh. I'm at work. You can see their, their whole attitude changes. When we were down after the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, you know, and we were with first responders and fam some families and things, 
Um, and then later we got a call by Orange County who asked if we could come to the medical examiner's office. And they said they heard. This is in the book as well. Yeah, that they, they yeah. had said, uh, you know, we got the governor, but all we wanted was the ponies because they heard oh. they had been in town, you know, working and stuff. But, it, but it's interesting why they called you. Well, I think that, you know, when people came out, you know, and they've got their white jacket, their white medical garb on, and they were just sitting down on the floor and the horses, they were a group of horses that were there and they were coming up and there was this one gentleman and the horse was like literally came over and put his put the horse put their head on his shoulder because he was down low sitting on the floor and was just and he he was like are you guys seeing this are you seeing this mm, they make physical contact yeah i saw that again and again in the book where they will lay their head mm -hmm. on someone's knee or arm or or lap that's fascinating that idea of you know, to that person, that doctor, there was no doubt in his mind, look at this horse is doing, no one's telling him to do this. We're having this mm -hmm. moment together, you know, where he's, the horse is comforting me. And, you know, we can't say what the horse is feeling, what they're thinking, why they're doing what they're doing. But, you know, you watch it. And again, they're so good at picking up emotion. And clearly this was high emotional area. You've been doing this for 25 years. Mm -hmm. If anybody knows what they're thinking and feeling, it's you. I have my, uh, <laughs> I have my, <laughs> I think it's very interesting too, that there, you know, if you're, we're, we're living in an area where there are a lot of horse people. So if you go into an assisted living program, there are people there who were raised with horses. Mm -hmm. And there is just a way that horse people too will reach out, you know, from their wheelchairs or their beds and engage with a horse. And you'll ask, you know, you had horses. Yes. My whole life. And, or we'll get called in where someone wants to see a horse one last time. They want to be with a horse one last time. And there's just a way that they touch and handle, you know, the face of a horse that, that is, is, I don't know. It, it's hard to describe, but you, you know, there's just a horse, a horse person way of doing things. And we've been mm -hmm. in places where, you know, there was a gentleman, he'd been the stunt double for the Lone Ranger and Roy Rogers. And, you know, he, he just, when a horse came in, I mean, just his face. And even though he wasn't, you know, communicating very well, you know, when it was time for the horse to leave, he got up with his walker and tried to follow the horse and we yes. stopped oh. again and went back over to him. And he just held the horse in his arms until he fell asleep. You know, before we left, there was a woman who was in a, we had been contacted by the family and she loved horses. She was in assisted living. She was really very near the end of her life and her walls in her in, in the assisted living were all photos of her with horses through the years. The the medical person who was there said she she's not gonna know that you're there. And she can't, she, you know, she doesn't know what's going on. And and uh, George, you know, who's the co-founder and trainer, he and he's magic, he and magic are like this dynamic duo together. But he uh, he said, well let's just let's just give her some time. 
And so they just went mm. over to the edge of the bed and, and magic just really leaned forward and just put her head on the bed. And, you know, there was just nothing for a while. And all of a sudden the blanket starts moving and her hand came out and just put her hand on the horse's nose. And, uh, and I took a photo for their family so that they would mm. see, you know, she still, moved. Mm-hmm. she was still there. She, you know, it meant something that there was a horse there at her bed. And, and like you said, people have been with horses for 5,000 years and there's just something also magical about horses, you know, boy, little boys too, but you know, every little girl wants a pony, it seems like. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're terminally ill and you're a child, you still have the same desire. You want the same thing. You, you know, the mm-hmm. idea that you have a special friend who's a horse that when you're coming in and getting chemo or whatever, your special friend is there waiting for you, is there, you know, just to check in and see how you're doing. And mm-hmm. if you have a child who, who is terminally ill, you know, that there's just something truly magical about all animals, but there's something truly magical about horses. And we've seen over and over again um, situations. There's one story that's in the book about a professor And, you know, the horse went up the stairs and into his room, you know, or into her room, sorry. And uh, just, again, the hospice nurse said, you know, the person is in a coma. They won't know. But the whole family is there. The grandchildren are are all there. And they had told him, you know, told her, you, you know, just wait. We have a surprise for you. Just hold on. So, you know, when we got there again, the horse went over, put its head on the bed and then his hand, or, you know, just her hand just went over and, and, you know, this person passed away with their hand resting on the horse. And the last few days of this person's life, they were talking about their childhood pony that no one knew that they'd ever had. And so for that family, they you know, they knew that they had granted this person's final wish. So even though it was very sad, and again, you're sort of inserted into a moment with this entire family's life that becomes part of their history, their stories. And so the horse stayed there and the children were coming up and, and petting the horse. And, you know, this whole moment goes on, but there are just people who've had special contact with horses there's something about being told you'll never see one again. And then to be able to, 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 to do that. There's one story that was in the book. We were in New York and uh, actually did a class at Columbia medical school. And there was a great um, young female doctor who had a patient who had been an equestrian her whole life. And she was very near the end of her life. She's at Mount Sinai in the middle of Manhattan. And um, the doctor asked her, what, what do you want? What can I do for you? And the person had no family. And she said, I just want to lay in a pasture filled with horses. And of course, she's in the middle of the city, but the doctor heard that we were there. And so she contacted okay. us and we were able to get through Times Square and all the Elmo's and all the crazy stuff and bring a horse in to this, this patient. And um, 
you know, just grant a wish for somebody to just be with a horse one last time. And even though she, she passed away shortly after, she was very involved and she was very aware and talking with people and excited and, and be able to grant a, again, a wish. And it doesn't matter whether you're five years old or, you know, this past year, our, our oldest person we were with was, well, this past week, we were with someone who was 102 and another person wow. 101 years old. Wow. And to be with someone, um, this, this one gentleman, said, I've never touched a horse. I, I still get a chance to touch I was going to say, I imagine that, you know, people who are, have been lifelong horse people, this is family to mm-hmm. them, you know, but people who've never been around a horse, okay, people are afraid of them, mm-hmm. but they're not afraid of miniature horses or, or the much less likely to be afraid of miniature right. horses. And there's this sense of wonder and they s- seem to still have that connection. It's even if it's new, it's special, it's magical. It's happened a lot with people who, you know, who are older, who've never touched a horse before. You know, you, you said the horses get excited. They want to do this. I was wondering, what are they getting out of it? Like, what's it like for the horse? Again, I think they pick up on, you know, the happy. So they feel that joy too, just as we do. I I think they do. And they... You know, I, I always say that our horses, first of all, they have the biggest egos anywhere because, <laughs> you know, when you, you go somewhere and everyone is thrilled to see you, they know that don't they, they really, you know, with, with magic, we play the song, I believe in magic when she comes out, even to a library program or something after we, we read books that have those actual characters. So the whole point mm. of the program is you're bringing books to life but they're meeting okay. the actual characters from the book. But when the music starts, her feet start going, you know? And no. then when she walks out, she she walks, but she puts her head sideways. So she's looking at the audience the whole way by. And I want to know which eye. <laughs> Usually, I'm trying to- <laughs> I'm looking at my notes. The, the right gaze is social, pro, yeah. positive, pro, social I was going to say, it's usually right and rather than left, just because that seems to be- So cool. That we, that we come in. <laughs> but she does that. And, you know, they pick up on people. It is a great gig for a horse. You're not working hard physically. You know, people will say, mm-hmm. well, how long can they do this? And I'm like, as, as long as they're happy doing it because they're not. And here. people are smiling. Yeah. People's ex- facial expressions, the uh, eyebrows are up and they're full of wonder and they're, uh, they're reaching for the horse, but it's gentle. Yeah. It's, they're excited. There's, and even with young horses, you know, I think there's a video in one library program with Moonshadow, and she comes walking in and she's prancing, but then, you know, and, and George is handling her and he kneels down facing all of the kids, you know, and of course we, the advantage of being a principal is before the horses come in, you know, the rules are laid down of where everyone needs to stay and all of that. And just, you're not shy about no, that. No, not at all. Safety <laughs> first, but, uh, but she was just, you know, even as a baby, she was just facing them. They're all facing her. Mm. He's looking directly at them and her ears are up and she's just so, you know, there's mute, there was music playing and, you know, she comes into uh, Justin Timberlake's dance, 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 you know, so she comes prancing, but then George kneels down to make sure that he's at eye level. 
so that he's looking mm-hmm. at the audience and, and the horse is looking at the along with her with like yeah, a shared gaze they're together mm-hmm. and i think the horses feel that i mean it is true that where they go in most cases people are really happy to see them and mm-hmm. you know even in really challenging circumstances and you know i think the the main gist of, of what if people could come away with one thing from the book was I wish we could bottle it of what it feels like when you go somewhere that there has been a, a tragedy. And I think if people were around during 9-11, they kind of remember that feeling that everybody mm-hmm. was feeling the same thing. You know, you would look at people and you just, there was. Debbie, your book does that. You have bottled it in your book. You know, I, I just finished reading it today. I, I have to tell our listeners that if you get this book, uh, it would be a great gift too. Absolutely fantastic gift, but get one for yourself first. Oh, um, thank you. You, you, you need a box of tissues <laughs> to read it. I, when I was looking at the reviews, uh, a lot of people said that they were weeping by page 15. Hopefully you know, happy tears, <laughs> you know. Well, but, uh, I, you know, I, I, I thought a lot about that. I, you know, um, am I crying because I'm so, I think it's, it's poignancy. It's, it's I, I'm happy, but at the same time, I know that this is fleeting. You know, this, this moment of joy is ending even as it's beginning. Often it is uh, completely out of the ordinary in every way. The situation is out of the ordinary for the people and, and the surprise of, of a miniature horse exiting an elevator, you know, um, in a hospital is just so, um, they're so out of place. You know, that's part of the wonder is, is there's a, when their size is also part of the wonder, there's a horse that's that tiny and it's come here and it's come here for us or for me mm-hmm. because I'm having such a hard time right now and, and the family and, you know, they all feel that too. Um, it's, it's a gift, you know, it, it is magic as you keep saying. So, uh, you know, you, you wish that it would go on forever. You, you know, when you see people who maybe have nothing in common and, you know, and especially in this particular time that we're in, where it's very easy to have sides and, you know, yeah. the horses, like all animals, I mean, there's this universal, they don't care where you're from, how much money you have, you know, what your politics are. Horses don't even care what sports team you root for, you know, they <laughs> truly, truly love unconditionally. But when you go into a situation where there has been a disaster, a hurricane, a fire, people are helping each other. People are mm-hmm. in their lives for each other, people that they would never normally have any contact with. And even though it is a tragedy, you know, in the best, in the worst of times, you really do see the best in people. And it gives you, that gives you hope. Uh, you know, yes, they love the horses, but we're also able to see, even though we're going into some very challenging circumstances, you see people doing the kindest things, the best things, helping in every way that they can. Do you experience compassion fatigue and do the horses experience compassion fatigue? Well, I think it's the reason that we make sure and let, you know, unless we're traveling to a particular place. And even then, you know, when we travel, we go to a farm where there's room for the horses to run. If it's wintertime, there's indoor arenas. We have a place in New York. We have, 
you know, places in different parts of the country so that the horses can burn off energy, which is very important, you know, after they've been visiting. Uh, we've done, we've had uh, equine masseuse. We've had all kinds of, oh. you know, we, we really try to make sure. And they, they know that there are treats waiting for them when they leave. You know, we don't do treats when they're working, you know, in the hospital or whatever, because, you know. Right. But they all, they know that when they're done, we always like do a fast trot back to the, back to the van and, you know, and then they get a treat and you're, you're just very aware that they're around a lot of things, but it, have you seen them be affected? Um, you know, I think that over time there have been situations that we, like, I know when we come back from, um, an example was when we were down after the condo collapse in Surfside. It was, you know, people were like, well, can, you know, magic come to this or that? And it was magic and sweetheart. And we're like, no, they, they have a month off. If there's a mm-hmm. big event where there's mm-hmm. a lot of people and a lot, you know, and it's an unusual setting and things like that, or if they've just even traveled to visit, you know, children's hospitals, you know, like a little tour that we tend to do at different parts of the country, when they come back, they are off. They're off for a month. They- so you said th- their, their demeanor changes when they're with kids who were just excited to see them because it's story time or something and children who were suffering physically, but then there are also people who are emotionally traumatized Yeah, and their demeanor changes from person to person according to their state of mind. I I think that's the case, you know, and that's why we're very aware of it. We make sure that we don't um, push them too much. That's why, you know, when they're home, a maximum of two days a week, would they go out and do something? And then we limit them. What about you? Uh, Do you get have a maximum of two days? <laughs> no, we don't. You know, you're well. People, well, it's it's funny because you know, they'll say, "Oh, I, I would love that job." You know, and it's mm-hmm. like they don't really see. You know, it's not just the two hours that you're at a hospital. It's all the no. preparation and grooming and stall cleaning and working and you know there's a lot that goes on to make that well, that can be therapeutic too it, it when, it, when I, <laughs> I i heard that you have some blacktop or something that you have to shovel there's or, asphalt today just, you know, asphalt it's yeah just arriving because all the storms we've had um here this year it was kind of washing away the driveway and things like that so but yeah i mean as an educator myself, there were times when things were emotionally tr- draining. I, you know, and I, I taught creative writing, and mm. a lot of the time, uh, even when you're teaching fiction, I often taught creative nonfiction too. But even when you're you're teaching fiction, students are sometimes drawing on trauma that they've had, mm-hmm. and then they want to come talk to you about it in your office and all. And um, there were times that I wasn't sure I could keep teaching because. I, of the emotional contagion and the toll that it was taking on me. And yeah, how do you handle it? Personally, for me, it is about mm-hmm. staying in the moment, you know, staying in that moment of happiness, because you know, where in some situations that's, that's going. Um, we've had, it's been interesting because we do photos for families and we are often contacted 
um, saying, could we have a picture, you know, do you have a high res photo? Because that's the photo we want at, at the funeral, because that was such a happy oh. moment. Can you do that for wow. us? We've, we've had people this, this um, past year, there was someone who, again, this person was a longtime equestrian. And they said, you know, would we, um, it meant so much to have um, magic with him, you know, during the last moments of his life, would magic come and be at the funeral? And so the oh. horse stood with his mom, stood wow. next to his mom during, during the funeral. And, you know, there are things that happen that are very emotional, but, you know, you're also, for me, understanding that there was a special, beautiful moment that happened that would not have happened for a family is important. And again, so you're the agent of, of joy and comfort, and then you receive in return their gratitude, which helps you keep going. Well, there have been times where, you know, I mean, and especially the last few years, it's a tough time for a lot of businesses and certainly a tough time for charities. You know, we canceled our gala last year and then we thought it was things were looking a little different and then we canceled the gala again this year and you know you're you're trying as a charity just to keep things going and then you will have a moment where there was something that was so special that happened with one of the horses you're like we have to figure out how to how to keep this going well you said they they recognize horses and people in photos I mean we we talked about those studies earlier where they recognize not just the, a face, but a mood in the face and then remember the person later. So they are totally able to Zoom and FaceTime. <laughs> well, they certainly have been doing some Zooms and FaceTimes over the last year and a half. <laughs> we set up a studio in the living room. And uh, even because the, the libraries had changed, you know, and closed down mm. programs, we either did reading programs from our living room that the libraries played on their Facebook's, you know, and then, or we did outside things and, you know, out on a lawn and 300 people come, you know, to read a book with a horse. I would go to that event. We had, and then the horse runs through the crowd, (laughs) you know, and doing FaceTimes where the horse is on the phone for someone, you know, that, that, Mm -hmm. and so pony on the phone. And so as challenging as even these times have been, there are things that we have learned that we will you know, as things get whatever normal is that we're going to take with us and say, this was a really good lesson, like following up with patients on the phone. That's wonderful. So, you know, even in the tough times, you learn some, some good things. There was a story in the book about this little boy who was at a Ronald McDonald house and he had a brain tumor and the doctor told him that he was going to lose his eyesight. And he, he was, you know, I keep saying the stories about magic. We have such a team of amazing horses and they all have their own <laughs> stories. But, but this is magic again. This is, and he wanted to see her before he lost his eyesight. And he just put his, we have a picture and he, he just had his forehead rested on her forehead. And they were looking at each other. You know, you we were talking about eyes and just eye to mm-hmm. eye. And he said, it's like she can see inside my soul. And, you know because she can yeah and there are certain things that you just can't um you know maybe do on facetime or zoom debbie darn it (laughs) so you know (sighs) and 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 they're just some special 
there was a one other little girl that we had had known for a long time at the Ronald McDonald house. And she had a heart transplant and then got leukemia. Wow. She was eight years old. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, uh, she would tell the doctors because she was, she was quite ill. And she said, I only get out of bed for magic. Ah. Well, I was like, good move kid. Cause you're, you're going to make sure that magic comes around to <laughs> you for sure. And uh, you know, I mean, there's just that physical contact that can happen that, that makes such a difference for somebody. And well, it must be good for you too. I, I think, uh, and as it is for me to read about it, and to talk with you about it, to for you to be there and to share in that joy and to know that you helped make it happen. That's intrinsically rewarding. That's intrinsically motivating. And the horses must be feeling that too. I think they do. They feel that, you know, the joy they feel when you walk into a program, you don't know the situation of who's dealing with what, what's going on, what's behind the scenes. You know, we don't have that information but mm-hmm. the horses feed into things. And that's where, you know, in, in a, an assisted living program in Ocala, and it's really where magics first started getting kind of known nationally was there just happened to be a photographer from a local newspaper, the Ocala star banner and three horses came in and people were sitting in wheelchairs and things. And, and, you know, our volunteers started walking the horses over to people And magic went over to this woman who was sitting, she was kind of sitting by herself in a wheelchair and went up and immediately put her head in the woman's lap. And magic doesn't do that all the time. You know, she doesn't walk around putting her head on, but she did that. And the woman just started laughing and she said, it's a horse. It's beautiful, which was nice. And then we looked up and the staff was all crying. She had been there for years and no one had ever heard her speak a single word. Wow. And so the photographer that just happened to be there from the newspaper, I mean, he captured the, the staff crying. They told her that they loved her. And she said, I love you too. Um, oh. And then she continued talking even after the horses had left. You know, I was going to ask it for an example of therapy that made a difference. There you go. That made a difference for her from then on. Yeah. It, it And, you know, and for the staff. So much of it is, you know, what's happening with the people around the people that things are happening with. They inspire people. It's magical moments and little miracles and big miracles that you get to see all the time. It just occurred to me too, one way that no doubt you cope is that you have 24-7 access to a herd of therapy horses. (laughs) There is some benefits. (laughs) Yes, you do talk benefits. about that in your book too. That, you know, of, I can't take complete credit yeah, for thinking there, that. There's <laughs> benefits to being around horses for anyone who you know, for anyone, yeah, and dogs and too, dogs, parrots, and any animal. You know, I mean, that's the thing is, I think why horses are special in their own way. They, they are, are special, as we've been saying, and yes. yet you know, everyone knows that their own dog is the most special, and everyone <laughs> knows that you know, just the way that animals really make a difference in people's lives. Even people who are not horse people get it. My mother had an assisted living program and the behind the scenes story was 
um, the director of the program got a call and said, you know, my mom has taken a turn for the worse. You've got to get a doctor in there. You know, she's kind of lost it. And the, the director said, well, what happened? And she said, she thinks there's a horse in her room. Oh, yeah. And they had to tell her, no, actually, there is a horse in her room. And she was just calling you because she wanted the grandkids to come over. Oh, thought she was crazy. Yeah. No wonder they have such big eaters. They feel very, very good about themselves. <laughs> the animals are amazing. And what would we do without them? And especially over the last couple of years or, you know, everything that we've all collectively gone through, what would we do? Nebi, I enjoy talking with you so immensely. I, I enjoyed the book and all the research that you inspired me to do for this episode. Um, I, I could keep talking to you for another couple hours. <laughs> well, we appreciate it. Debbie Garcia Bengachea's book, Mini Horse, Mighty Hope, How a Herd of Miniature Horses Provides Comfort and Healing, is available everywhere. And it provides you with an opportunity to feel good about supporting your local bookseller, too. So you can find contact information and opportunities to donate to their award-winning nonprofit on their website, GentleCarouselTherapyHorses.com. I'll put a link in the show notes, and you can keep up to date with their daily activities on the farm by subscribing to their weekly digest. And you can also follow them on Facebook and Instagram. I'm going to include links in the show notes to their social media as well. Debbie, thank you so much for spending time with me and sharing all that you know. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I appreciate all of your help and your support and your kind words. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening and for loving animals. Your time and devotion mean a lot to us. If you want to learn more, you'll find links to everything we referenced in our show notes on our website, thisanimallife.com. Our graphic artist is Sarah K. Martin. Our podcast theme composer is Chip Salerno. If you like this episode, please subscribe to This Animal Life on your favorite podcast provider and share it with a friend who loves animals as much as you do. Let's spread the love for animal life.